Chapters three and four of A House of Gentlefolk by Ivan Turgenev, translated by Constance Garnett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter three. How do you do, Maria Dmitrievna? cried the young man in a pleasant, ringing voice. How do you like my new purchase? Maria Dmitrievna went up to the window. How do you do, Voldemar? Ah, what a splendid horse! Where did you buy it? I bought it from the army contractor. He made me pay for it, too, the brigand. What's its name? Orlando. But it's a stupid name. I want to change. Eh bien, eh bien, mon garçon. What a restless beast it is! The horse snorted, pawed the ground, and shook the foam off the bit. Lenichka, stroke him. Don't be afraid. The little girl stretched her hand out of the window, but Orlando suddenly reared and started. The rider, with perfect self-possession, gave it a cut with the whip across the neck, and, keeping a tight grip with his legs, forced it, in spite of its opposition, to stand still again at the window. Prenegard, Prenegard, Maria Dmitrievna kept repeating. Lenichka, pat him, said the young man. I won't let him be perverse. The little girl again stretched out her hand and timidly patted the quivering nostrils of the horse, who kept fidgeting and champing the bit. "'Bravo!' cried Maria Dmitrievna. "'But now get off and come in to us.' The rider adroitly turned his horse, gave him a touch of the spur, and galloping down the street soon reached the courtyard. A minute later he ran into the drawing-room by the door from the hall, flourishing his whip, at the same moment there appeared in the other doorway a tall, slender, dark-haired girl of nineteen, Maria Dmitrievna's eldest daughter, Lisa. Chapter 4 The name of the young man whom we have just introduced to the reader was Vladimir Nikolaevich Panshin. He served in Petersburg on special commissions in the Department of Internal Affairs. He had come to the town of O to carry out some temporary government commissions, and was in attendance on the Governor-General Zonenberg, to whom he happened to be distantly related. Panshin's father, a retired cavalry officer and a notorious gambler, was a man with insinuating eyes, a battered countenance, and a nervous twitch about the mouth. He spent his whole life hanging about the aristocratic world frequented the English clubs of both capitals, and had the reputation of a smart, not very trustworthy, but jolly good-natured fellow. In spite of his smartness, he was almost always on the brink of ruin, and the property he left his son was small and heavily encumbered. To make up for that, however, he did exert himself, after his own fashion, over his son's education. Vladimir Nikolaevich spoke French very well, English well, and German badly. That is the proper thing. Fashionable people would be ashamed to speak German well. But to utter an occasional, generally a humorous, phrase in German is quite correct. C'est même très chic, as the Parisians of Petersburg express themselves. By the time he was fifteen, Vladimir knew how to enter any drawing-room without embarrassment, how to move about it gracefully, and to leave it at the appropriate moment. 
Panshin's father gained many connections for his son. He never lost an opportunity while shuffling the cards between two rubbers or playing a successful trump of dropping a hint about his Volodka to any personage of importance who was a devotee of cards. And Vladimir, too, during his residence at the university, which he left without a very brilliant degree, formed an acquaintance with several young men of quality and gained an entry into the best houses. He was received cordially everywhere. He was very good-looking, easy in his manners, amusing, always in good health, and ready for everything, respectful when he ought to be, insolent when he dared to be, excellent company, en charmant garçon. The promised land lay before him. Panshin quickly learned the secret of getting on in the world. He knew how to yield with genuine respect to its decrees. He knew how to take up trifles with half-ironical seriousness, and to appear to regard everything serious as trifling. He was a capital dancer, and dressed in the English style. In a short time he gained the reputation of being one of the smartest and most attractive young men in Petersburg. Panshin was indeed very smart, not less so than his father, but he was also very talented. He did everything well. He sang charmingly, sketched with spirit, wrote verses, and was a very fair actor. He was only twenty-eight, and he was already a Kammerjunker, and had a very good position. Panshin had complete confidence in himself, in his own intelligence, and his own penetration. He made his way with light-hearted assurance everything went smoothly with him. He was used to being liked by everyone, old and young, and imagined that he understood people, especially women. He certainly understood their ordinary weaknesses. As a man of artistic learnings, he was conscious of a capacity for passion, for being carried away, even for enthusiasm, and, consequently, he permitted himself various irregularities. He was dissipated, associated with persons not belonging to good society, and in general conducted himself in a free and easy manner, but at heart he was cold and false, and at the moment of the most boisterous revelry his sharp brown eye was always alert, taking everything in. This bold, independent young man could never forget himself and be completely carried away. To his credit, it must be said that he never boasted of his conquests. He had found his way into Maria Dmitrievna's house immediately he arrived in O, and was soon perfectly at home there. Maria Dmitrievna absolutely adored him. Panshin exchanged cordial greetings with everyone in the room. He shook hands with Maria Dmitrievna and Lizaveta Mikhailovna, clapped Gideonovsky lightly on the shoulder, and, turning round on his heels, put his hand on Lenochka's head and kissed her on the forehead. "'Aren't you afraid to ride such a vicious horse?' Maria Dmitrievna questioned him. "'I assure you he's very quiet, but I will tell you what I am afraid of. I'm afraid to play preference with Sergei Petrovitch. Yesterday he cleaned me out of everything at Madame Belenitsyn's.' Idionovsky gave a thin, sympathetic little laugh. He was anxious to be in favour with the brilliant young official from Petersburg, the governor's favourite. 
in conversation with maria dmitrievna he often alluded to panshin's remarkable abilities indeed he used to argue how can one help admiring him the young man is making his way in the highest spheres he is an exemplary official and not a bit of pride about him and in fact even in petersburg panshin was reckoned a capable official he got through a great deal of work he spoke of it lightly as befits a man of the world who does not attach any special importance to his labours but he never hesitated in carrying out orders the authorities like such subordinates he himself had no doubt that if he chose he could be a minister in time you are pleased to say that i cleaned you out replied gedeonovsky but who was it won twelve roubles of me last week and more you're a malicious fellow panshin interrupted with genial but somewhat contemptuous carelessness and paying him no further attention he went up to lisa i cannot get the overture of oberon here he began madame belenitsin was boasting when she said she had all the classical music in reality she has nothing but polkas and waltzes but i have already written to moscow and within a week you will have the overture by the way he went on i wrote a new song yesterday the words too are mine would you care for me to sing it i don't know how far it is successful madame belenitsin thought it very pretty but her words mean nothing i should like to know what you think of it but i think though that had better be later on why later on interposed maria dmitrievna why not now i obey replied panshin with a peculiar bright and sweet smile which came and went suddenly on his face he drew up a chair with his knee sat down to the piano and striking a few chords began to sing articulating the words clearly the following song above the earth the moon floats high amid pale clouds its magic light in that far sky yet stirs the floods my heart has found a moon to rule its stormy sea to joy and sorrow it is moved only by thee my soul is full of love's cruel smart and loving vain but thou art calm as that cold moon that knows not pain the second couplet was sung by panshin with special power and expression the sound of waves was heard in the stormy accompaniment after the words and loving vain he sighed softly dropped his eyes and let his voice gradually die away morendo when he had finished lisa praised the motive maria dmitrievna cried charming but gedeonovsky went so far as to exclaim ravishing poetry and music equally ravishing lenichka looked with childish reverence at the singer in short everyone present was delighted with the young dilettante's composition but at the door leading into the drawing-room from the hall stood an old man who had only just come in and who to judge by the expression of his downcast face and the shrug of his shoulders was by no means pleased with panshin's song pretty though it was after waiting a moment and flicking the dust off his boots with a coarse pocket-handkerchief this man suddenly raised his eyes compressed his lips with a morose expression and his stooping figure bent forward he entered the drawing-room ah christopher fedoritch how are you 
exclaimed Panshin before any of the others could speak, and he jumped up quickly from his seat. I had no suspicion that you were here. Nothing would have induced me to sing my song before you. I know you are no lover of light music. I did not hear it, declared the newcomer in very bad Russian, and exchanging greetings with everyone, he stood awkwardly in the middle of the room. Have you come, Monsieur Lem, said Marya Dmitrievna, to give Lisa her music lesson? No, not Lizaveta Mikhailovna, but Elena Mikhailovna. Oh, very well. Lenochka, go upstairs with Mr. Lem. The old man was about to follow the little girl, but Panshin stopped him. Don't go after the lesson, Christopher Fedoritch, he said. Liza Mikhailovna and I are going to play a duet of Beethoven's sonata. The old man muttered some reply, and Panshin continued in German, mispronouncing the words. Lizaveta Mikhailovna showed me the religious cantata you dedicated to her, a beautiful thing. Pray, do not suppose that I cannot appreciate serious music. Quite the contrary. It is tedious sometimes, but then it is very elevating. The old man crimsoned to his ears, and with a sidelong look at Lisa, he hurriedly went out of the room. Maria Dmitrievna asked Panshin to sing his song again, but he protested that he did not wish to torture the ears of the musical German, and suggested to Lisa that they should attack Beethoven's sonata. Then Maria Dmitrievna heaved a sigh, and in her turn suggested to Gideonovsky a walk in the garden. "'I should like,' she said, to have a little more talk, and to consult you about our poor Fedya. Gideonovsky bowed with a smirk, and with two fingers picked up his hat, on the brim of which his gloves had been tidily laid, and went away with Maria Dmitrievna. Panshin and Lisa remained alone in the room. She fetched the sonata and opened it. Both seated themselves at the piano in silence. Overhead, were heard the faint sounds of scales played by the uncertain fingers of Lenochka. End of chapters three and four.